Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name, you already know it, is C to the O to the D to the Y, Cody. Cody. My name is Emily. <laughs> and before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the dough. Why did you ask me if I was naked? <laughs> I thought you were. You can't see that I have a clothes on. I have a, a robe clothes. on. Yeah, but I didn't know if you were naked underneath. Well, what else am I supposed to be? You don't have panties on? I have underwear on. Okay, and stop making faces at me when I make little noises. Our new <laughs> microphone cuts it out. We'll see. How was your weekend? It was fine. What did you do? Literally nothing. No, you went to your mom's thing. Oh, shit. Yeah. I was going to say nothing. That was a big deal. Yeah, but Sunday, I don't really What was it for? So, this past Thursday was my mom's last um, any type of treatment for cancer. So, it's like all gone. And so, oh, yay. my sister was really the one who planned a lot of it. Um, we had like her friends that she has and people who are our neighbors and like old co-workers, current co-workers, that kind of thing, family come and just kind of like celebrate my mom. But she looks so good. Yeah. And I love that her hair came back that beautiful white. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Because I have a couple friends when their hair grew back, it was white. But I also know another lady, she was my third grade teacher when her, she had the white hair and she's older. But when she went through chemo, it grew back black and really thick and like long. And That's she was like, so well, crazy. She was like, well, hallelujah. Yeah. And like my mom's hair used to be like, kind of curly like my yeah. hair well yeah i guess like had like a little wave but now i no. but yeah she was really happy and you know to see everybody and but yeah my sister did most of it so i love that well yeah happy that your mom is feeling and doing a lot better oh yeah for sure well we didn't do anything this weekend we did watch the new Lindsay lohan christmas movie though and it was adorable i know you're gonna roll your eyes because you like fucking it and all that bullshit during christmas still but it was actually really cute and i'm so proud that she's getting back on the right track it's been a while <laughs> since mean girls but it was actually cute because like sometimes those christmas movies are a little cheesy and you're like oh yeah. honey we know you're gonna like him and then he you're not gonna like the nerd and then the nerd is gonna like you and then you're gonna fall in love we get it but this yeah. one was cute speaking of my mom she loves those like stupid hallmark movies oh those are our favorite but we just stayed in decorated the christmas tree oh, decorated fun. the house and watched christmas movies so it was a good weekend yeah. which is part of the reason we didn't do much so i was able to knock out three episodes this week so if you're a patreon you're gonna get one episode that we just recorded and it is called uh, the Corpsewood Manor Murders. So it's a story about Satanism, sex parties, and like brutal uh, murder. So if you're into that bullshit and anything else, come to our Patreon. It's a party. It's a party. It's a party. <laughs> we we put episodes on there weekly. So if you just can't get enough of us, come on over there, honey. And we'll send you cool pens and stickers and other stuff in the mail. Speaking of Patreons. Oh, we do. We have two new Patreons. We have Taylor, which shout out to Taylor because she actually messaged us her mother is the one who got her into what Aww. listening to us. So shout out to not only Taylor, but your mama. And we have Colby as well. Oh my God. So thank y'all for being a Patreon. If you want to be a Patreon, the link is on our Instagram 
uh, bio, or you can see it in the show notes below. And then just message us your mailing address so we can send you stuff. Yeah. If you want it. If you don't. Okay, cool. Whatever. Right. And speaking of giveaway, so we're going to be giving away two of items, two of our items from our merch list. Um, so if you go to our Instagram, you'll see the post with all of the like sweaters and all that on it. So click on that and there's some rules that you have to do, like tag three <laughs> of your friends, post it on your story and comment. And you have until um, November 25th to take part in that. And then we'll pick the winners and we'll message you and get you whatever you want from our merch store. So would love to have you. I know you will look so stunning in the Misery Manor sweatshirt this um, holiday season. This holiday season. It's a perfect gift. It's a perfect night, Jamie. It's a perfect date night. <laughs> no. If you were to a date, please let me know because I really feel like that will seal the fucking deal. With who? Anybody. They're going to be like, you listen to Misery Manor? So do I, babe. Let's take it to the hotel. Motel. Ew. <laughs> Anyways, rate, review, subscribe. All right, cool. So we're going to be recording this episode, obviously, right now. And then Thursday, we're going to have another episode come out. Both of these stories are like, what the fork? They are insane. They are intense. So especially on this one, I'm going to say viewer or listener discretion advise. Because um, this one has to do a lot with um, torture and um, just torture. A lot of torture and a lot of um, just horrible, horrible things. Is it a child? It's a 16-year-old. Okay. So let's get into it. So on December 1992, Suzanne Capper endured seven days of hell and horrific torture in Greater Manchester, England. Susan was only a young teen at the age of 16 when she died. So while the circumstances surrounding her death were horrific, sadly, she was kind of lost. Um, her case was kind of lost because it was largely overshadowed in the press at this time by the murder of a two-year-old guy, a uh, boy named James uh, yep. Bulger, yep. which happened two months later, which was a huge thing that happened there. So sadly, hers was kind of just overlooked. But we're going to give light to her story now. That is a horrible that's a horrible story too so let's get into the disturbing and horrific murder of susan capper so susan was born is in... it susan or suzanne suzanne thank you suzanne because okay, that is I... my mom's name and she cannot stand it when people call her susan it's suzanne sorry so suzanne was born in greater manchester um in england in 1976 so suzanne capper was described by her mother as quote very forgiving Suzanne was also known to be very kind, very considerate, friendly, and also, quote, a gentle and easily influenced girl. So growing up, Suzanne and her sister, Michelle, never knew their biological father. Because of this, they were raised primarily um, by their mother, Elizabeth Dunbar, and their stepfather, John Capper. However, the couple did split when Suzanne was only 14 years old, and this split was traumatic for the entire family because they had built this family. Well, yeah, they have his going, last name. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they got a divorce. So Suzanne and Michelle alternated between staying with their mother, their stepfather, family, friends, or even in the care of local authorities. So this instability and frequent relocating ultimately led Suzanne to the home of Jean Powell. Okay, so we're going to be talking about her a lot. So Suzanne and Jean uh, met shortly after a random encounter with a boy around her age named Clifford Pook, who is Jean Powell's younger brother. And I'm just going to there's about six names that we're going to go through in here. Um, so it's going to be a lot of names, but just 
I'm going to do the best I can to make sure you follow along with who's doing what. How old is Jean Powell? Um, she's 26. So I'm going to okay. get into that. Yep. So Clifford had been sitting outside of the road one day and Susan or Suzanne noticed that he looked very sad and upset. So it turns out he had just gotten into a fight with his girlfriend and was like really upset about the outcome and was just kind of sitting there crying. So Suzanne approached him to see if he was okay and stayed to chat with him in efforts to like just put him back into good spirits. So Jean and Suzanne met shortly after that, right? Okay. So Clifford is Jean's younger brother and that's how so when she met clifford then gene came and now that's how they all three got to know each other okay so gene was 10 years susan senior which makes her 26 years old gene was living with her three children in an old disgusting dilapidated home not far from her stepdad john capper's house so that's also how they met Suzanne just wanted to be liked and she wanted to be loved by others. She would babysit Jean's young children for free and never once complained or asked for anything in return. Suzanne was so desperate to have friends that she was willing to risk her own success in life to make it happen. Suzanne would spend the night at Jean's home and skip school the next morning. So in only a short time, Suzanne was spending more time with Jean and her other friends than anyone else. And sadly, her family was unaware of the true horrors that were going on behind the scenes. So Suzanne's mother said, quote, We found out that Jean had taken Suzanne out of school and was making her work as a cleaner at the CIS building in town almost as if she was her mother. Suzanne's mother later said, quote, she was taking Suzanne's money, just letting her keep $5 a week while we thought she was in school. When we confronted her about it, she threatened to burn down our house. Uh yeah. So the trouble and horrors were far from over and it's only going to continue to escalate. So the real trouble began when a neighbor named Bernadette McNeely moved into Jean's home. So 24-year-old Bernadette McNeely had three children as well and had been living a few doors down from Jean Powell. But by 1992, she and her three friends moved into Jean Powell's three house. Three friends or three? Three children. Okay. So now you have Jean plus her three kids plus Bernadette and her three kids all living under the same roof. And remember, this house is like disgusting. What about Clifford? No, he doesn't live there. This reminds me of Sylvia Likens. Yes. So Jean and Bernadette shared a bed in the downstairs dining room because the bedrooms were, quote, full of children. If you remember, this house is old, it's in shambles, and it's basically falling apart. But that did not stop Jean and Bernadette from making the house a hotspot for drugs, crime, parties, and sex. So, for instance, Jean and Bernadette would weigh uh, amphetamines. How do you say it? Amphetamines? Mm -hmm. That's right. Not Amphetami amphetamines or just no, amphetamines? No, it just says amphetamines. In the kitchen, dill them in the living room, sell stolen cars and car parts, and sleep with many of the people that came through the house for drugs. So in particularly, they were sleeping with a 16-year-old boy named Anthony Dudson. So he was in a sexual relationship with both Jean, Bernadette, and Susan Capper. And he's Suzanne. 16. And he's 16. Well, Susanna is 16. Well, so is Anthony. And the other two girls are 24 and 26. Oh, hell. <laughs> so this house was also frequently visited by Jean's 29-year-old ex-husband, Glenn Powell, and 26-year-old drug addict, Jeffrey Lay. 
as well as Clifford Pook, who is Jean's brother. He would come around a while. So sometime around late November 1992, one of their drug-fueled parties, Suzanne and Jean met a friend named uh, Muhammad Yusuf. And Mm -hmm. Suzanne apparently encouraged Jean to sleep with him. She was like, oh, go sleep with him. He's cute. And Jean was pissed about it. Like, how dare you say, like, I'm going to go sleep with him. And she's probably thinking, will you do it with everybody else? So That's just so odd. Like, go, like go talk to him or not go sleep Sleep with with him. Right. So Jean later told police though, she gave Susan a beating right after, uh, trying Suzanne. It doesn't matter. Suzanne. That is her name. After, uh, Jean later told police that she gave Suzanne a beating after trying to quote, make her go with an Arab. (gasps) So Suzanne, however, allegedly told neighbors that Jean Powell had tied her up and held her in the same position for four days straight. Sadly, though, due to the neighbors knowing that the house was used as a party, like in a drug house, not one of the neighbors believed her and just kind of turned a blind eye to the confession. So Suzanne continued to stay regularly at this house, even though Jean and Bernadette frequently bullied her and made her very upset. So a lot of people would see her crying kind of having her head down, just looked lost, looked confused, looked sad. Uh, Suzanne's sister, Meredith, even said, quote, it was not that she was scared of them. It's just that she would do anything for them. She pampered their every whim. Suzanne just wanted friends. But when people saw her, she was at the house. It wasn't outside the house. Outside of the house, too. And she just looked sad because by this point, she was like not talking to her family. She would come in and check in every once in a while. But for The majority, she was kind of staying at that house as she pleased. Okay. So then on December 7th, 1992, Jean Powell and Bernadette invited Suzanne to a party. They were like, girl, Suzanne, you have to come to this party. That boy you like is going to be there. He wants to see you. You have to come. Like, come on, it's going to be a blast. So they were trying to bribe her saying that this boy that she thought was cute was going to be there. So Suzanne was more than thrilled to attend the party. She was even more excited to see the guy that she had this crush on. Um, So she told Jean and Bernadette that she would love to go to the party and that she would be there without a doubt. Later that evening, when Suzanne arrived at the party, there was no boy. In fact, there was no party. Oh. So just as a backstory for the listeners and you, around this time, Anthony, Jean, and Glenn all contracted pubic lice. And Bernadette told them that it was Suzanne who gave it to them. So she pulled it out of her ass and said, Suzanne gave it to you all. So she was like, she's the one who did this to you all. It's her fault. She's a whore. She sleeps with everybody. She's disgusting. She did this. She's nasty. So this pissed the group off and they became uh, became enraged by this claim. So the group decided to take matters into their own hands. So Suzanne was lured to Jean Powell's home where Glenn Powell and the others were already ra- waiting for her arrival. So Suzanne expected to arrive and then them all head to a party But as soon as she walked in the door, Suzanne was grabbed and held down immediately. So Suzanne was confused. And she's like, what is going on? What are you doing? Like, you're hurting me. Stop. Well, they didn't give a fuck. And Glenn Powell wasted no time and began to shave her head, her eyebrows, and then yelled at her saying, now clean it up and toss it into this bin that he had. So he shaved her completely like bald and she had no hair. And then she had to like clean it up. So then once she cleaned up all of her hair off the ground, 
he placed a plastic bag over her head and told Susan to walk around the home while they all took turns acting as, as if she was a pinata with like a pull stick. And they would hit her as hard as she could across the head. They were laughing. They were calling her names um, while they did this. So as if that was not enough. Suzanne was then kicked repeatedly by Jean and Bernadette. And like Susan cried and she pleaded for them to stop, but no one listened. So as Suzanne laid curled up on the floor, both women took turns beating her with a three foot long wooden instrument and a belt. So Suzanne was there, uh, was then taken to the bathroom and forced to shave off her own pubic hair as a form of, quote, humiliation and revenge for having caused this is what they said. So obviously this was something that was very humiliating to Suzanne. And again, Suzanne was so desperate for love, for friendship and just being wanted that this like was so traumatic for her, like broke her heart. And after the attack, when she thought it was done, Jean Powell locked her in a cupboard overnight. While in the cupboard, Suzanne screamed and cried all through the night. She was begging and pleading with them to just let her go. She was like, please let me go. I'm bleeding. I'm sorry for whatever I did to make you mad. I can fix this. Please just let me go. Like, I'm scared. Um, and just kind of think of it like a pantry or like the chokey from Matilda, just mm -hmm. like forced to stand up, locked in there. She can't get out. Well, keep in mind, there are six children who are still living in this home, and they began to hear Suzanne screaming and crying, and they're becoming concerned, and they're asking their moms, like, what is going on? What does that sound? Yeah. Like, why is she crying? Do we know how old the kids are? Uh, they're young. They're like, they're like infants, like six, well, not infants, but like toddlers, <laughs> children. <laughs> so the next day, Suzanne's uh, friends decided to move her into Bartadette's former home, where there was no children present to hear Suzanne scream and cry because um, they were just scared that the children would, you know, I don't know, tell their teacher, tell somebody yeah. that they heard. And then, you know, it would just escalate. Love that this lady has two homes. Right. And both are shitey. So once they were transported to Suzanne, or once they were transported, sorry, let me start over. Once they transported Suzanne to the home, the group was quick to take action because they were far from being done. This is day two. This is day two, I believe. So they tied her to a bed frame with a cord, rope, electric flex, belts, and a chain and injected themselves with amphetamines to get high to begin their ruthless, horrific, senseless, and days-long torture. So during this time, Bernadette injected so many amphetamines into herself that she began to call herself Chucky. And after the character from Child's Play and wanted the group around her to also refer to her as Chucky to help kind of play along with this sick and twisted part that she had going on in her head. So during visits to the house, Clifford and Jeffrey also partook in the girl's torture. So in between beatings, Suzanne's mouth was stuffed with socks so that she could not scream for help. At some time, the group got bored with the standard beatings and like the chokings and all that. So they started to think of ways that they could inflict more harm to Suzanne. So they started by burning Suzanne with cigarettes, which caused a lot of burns and welts all over her body. 
However, they were like, this is not enough. Like, this isn't fun. Like, what else should we do? So the group did not allow Suzanne to use the bathroom properly. So Suzanne was covered in her own feces and urine and was forced to kind of lay and sit in it for days, which eventually ate away at her skin, um, causing sores and whatever all over her body. So disgusted with the smell that Suzanne was giving off, they decided to strip her naked and throw her into a bathtub that was filled with concentrated disinfectants. (gasps) which burned her skin on contact. And they said she screamed the minute that they like pushed her in there. She was screaming and crying. So Suzanne cried as well as begged and pleaded for them to just stop and leave her alone. So the disinfectant coming in contact with her cigarette burns was almost intolerable. They thought that she was going to pass out from the pain. Oh. To make matters worse, this part really made me... They took one of those wire brushes that you scrub <gasps> stuff down and scrubbed her skin off. Uh, they were giving her a bath like, oh, you want to get clean? Let's, you know, let's clean you. So they took that wire brush. It was scraping her like skin off while she sits in this disinfectant bathtub. Uh, jarring. So at one point, Bernadette grabbed Suzanne and injected her with amphetamines, placed headphones over her ears, blasted rave music at full volume featuring Chucky's catchphrase looping on repeat. I'm Chucky. Want to play? I'm Chucky. Want to play over and over again. The fuck? What the fuck? (laughs) Right. So the group had made up their mind that they weren't going to only torture Suzanne. They wanted to kill her. So they beat Suzanne some more, strapped her down to the bed, spread Eagle. This is. And they pried out two of her front teeth with pliers. So Anthony Dudson said, this is a quote from him during trial. He said, quote, I stood at the doorway with Jean and Bernadette. Cliff took Suzanne's gag off. He told her to open her mouth. He said, I'm going to rip your fucking teeth out. He started hitting her teeth with the pliers. He got the pliers on and started pulling them out. But the teeth just snapped and chipped. Then he hit them a few more times. He put the pliers on again and really, really pulled. He pulled Suzanne's head forward until there was a snap and he had the tooth in his pliers. He did the same thing over and over again, all while laughing. Horrible. How many teeth did he pull out? I think two or three. So sadly, they were far from being done. This is all day two. I don't know which. This is just in a matter of seven days. So the six primary attackers heard that Suzanne's family was uh, going to file a missing persons report. So after hearing this and like not seeing for her for a few days, they knew that people were going to be on the lookout for her. Uh So uh, they agreed that they wanted to remove her from the house um, because they knew that Suzanne would typically stay at Jean's house or Bernadette's. And they knew it was only a matter of time before they came questioning them. So they loaded her into the trunk of a Fiat Panda that Jeffrey stole, and they drove Suzanne 15 miles to a wooded area near Stockport. So the three, so three of them are in the car, though. So it's Jeffrey, Anthony, and Bernadette. Oh, I'm sorry. Three of them, Jeffrey, Anthony, and Bernadette, shoved her through this thick brush in the woods, like 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 bushes, pretty much. She already has like open skin. Yeah. Uh, yes. And she lay almost entirely naked on the ground. They said she was begging for her life. So Bernadette doused her in gasoline. And Jean Powell said, quote, I saw a flash. I turned around and looked and saw Suzanne in flames. She was screaming and crying. 
I was numb. I was scared. Oh, now you're scared, bitch. That's Jean? That's Jean. The one that fucking started all this bullshit. So as the brush and Suzanne's body went up in flames, um, Suzanne was crying and screaming for her life. The group all hugged and celebrated the death of Suzanne. In the early morning hours after the uh, the flames died out, the group left Suzanne, uh, like left her for dead, singing Burn Baby Burn all the way to their car. And you know why they know this was real? Because Suzanne was not dead. <gasps> she wasn't dead. So after her attackers left, Suzanne was determined to live. So she mustered up all of the strength she had in her and managed to crawl back up the embankment and stagger along the road for approximately a quarter of a mile. She was found at 6.10 a.m. by Barry Sutcliffe and two of his colleagues on their way to work early that next morning. So shocked and in disbelief at what they had just encountered, they immediately took her to the closest home. They're like, oh my God, we have to get this girl help. Here's a house. Pull over. We need to, we need to get help. So they alerted the owners of this house, Michael and Margaret, um, to call for an ambulance. So Michael Coop, the owner of the house, said, quote, Both of her hands appeared just like ash. Her legs were like raw meat and her feet appeared to be badly charred. I was struck by how polite she was. She was constantly thanking me and my wife for all the assistance we gave her. So even through everything that she had been through, Suzanne continued to love, to show love and respect for the people around her. So Margaret, the wife, said, quote, I instinctively went to put my arms around her. I'm a mother, but she pulled away because she could not bear to be touched. Her head was shaved and there was uh, recent, not new cuts to her head. Her face was almost featureless. Her nose was gone. Her hands were red, raw, and black at the fingertips. Her legs were red from top to bottom, and she couldn't bear anything near her legs. So, oh my God. Because I wonder if that's where they scrubbed her, too. Probably. Or that's maybe where just lit on fire easiest. Well, I mean, like, I'm just trying to think if, like, if they scrubbed it. You know, there wasn't much to burn. Right. So while they waited for the ambulance to come, Suzanne drank six glasses of water but she was unable to hold the glass herself because the injuries to her hand would not allow her. So Margaret was putting the water in her mouth. I'm like, I love you, Margaret. I want to give you a hug. So even again, in the midst of all of her pain and agony, she thanked the couples for getting her water. And she was like, thank you so much for calling help. Like, love her. So So Suzanne was rushed to the hospital and was able to give the names of her six assailants. So she gave them um, their names, her name, what had happened to her, as well as Jean Powell's address. So the extent of her burns was so extreme that her mother and stepfather were unable to recognize her. And she was only positively identified by a partial fingerprint from her thumb, which was the only part of her hands and arms that was not burned. So sadly, though, you know, because she clenched. uh, What is it called? The boxer pose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sadly, though, Suzanne's body was 80% burned and she suffered organ failure. So ultimately, after fighting hard, Suzanne fell into a coma and died shortly after. On December 18, 1992, Suzanne Capper was only 16 years old. That was my sister's
The investigation into Suzanne's death was led by Detective Peter Wall of Greater Manchester Police. At 7.30 on December 14th, he instructed officers to arrive at the address that Suzanne had provided them, which was 97 Langworthy Road, and arrest everyone that they found there. He was like, I don't care who's there, arrest everybody. (laughs) Even the little babies. Them too. Jean Powell and Bernadette laughed and joked with each other as they were being arrested. Like, they were like, oh, my God, is this a joke? Like, what? Like, and they were, like, laughing and, like, playing it off. So, initially, all six denied involvement in the torture and murder. So, they were like, what? No, we know you did it. She told us. But they didn't know that she was, um, that she had survived. (gasps) Oh, shit. Yeah. So, however, during questioning, Anthony, who's the 16-year-old, the youngest, had been urged by his father to tell the truth. So, he began to talk. And he told them the truth. So, when... When asked about Anthony's timeline of what happened, Detective Peter Wall said, quote, As the story began to unfold, we just couldn't believe it. I kept asking myself how one human could do this to another. It was even reported that police officers, quote, wept as the extent of Suzanne's suffering was revealed. Was Anthony the one that pulled her teeth out? No, he was like, that was um, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, okay. Anthony's a 16 year old. So I don't, he did do stuff, of course, but he was kind of the younger one who was, everybody else is in the third. Okay. He's the weakest link. Yeah. Um, We have one more question. What was their reaction to knowing she survived? Oh, they were like, oh my gosh, see, we didn't try to kill her. Like, you know, like trying to play it off, but these people knew damn well. Well, what did you try to do? Put her, you made her a barbecue. Like, no. That was definitely the intention. Right. So it was later found out that there was a missing opportunity for Suzanne to possibly be saved during her seven days of torture. This is really sad. So David Hill, who was 18 and a friend of the group, was asked to come over to the house. While he was there, he heard Anthony shouting in the back room at somebody. So confused at what he heard, he um, asked Jeffrey, the older guy, he was like, dude, what in the world is going on? Like, who's that screaming? Why is Anthony yelling? Like, is everything okay? And Jeffrey laughed and said, oh, yeah, follow me, follow me. So as he did, he led David into the room and he saw Suzanne being held in and tortured. So David could clearly see evidence of torture and recalled that Suzanne looked like she was in very bad shape. And after a while, David was left alone in the room with Suzanne. And they were like, yeah, do whatever you want, like beat her, do whatever. But he didn't. Um, But he did not free her either. He said, quote, she asked me if I could please help her, but I told her I couldn't. I asked her who she was. She said her name was Suzanne. She asked me if I could untie her. And I said, no, I can't do anything. So David later claimed that he was too afraid of Jeffrey to intervene, um, saying, I thought that they would like hurt me. If I said anything, they had got me as well. I didn't know what to do. I was too shocked to do anything. Well, if you couldn't do anything, you could have at least called help. So the trial took place November 16th, 1993 and lasted 22 long days. November 16th, the next. The following year. So all six denied that they murdered Suzanne. And in their testimonies, each defendant tried to minimize his or her part in the crime. The jury began their deliberations a month later, and on December 16th, 1993, almost a year later, mm-hmm. uh, it took nine hours and 52 minutes to reach a verdict. Justin Potts said, quote, Justice Potts, sorry, said, quote, each of you have been convicted on clear evidence of murder, which was as appalling a murder as it is possible to even imagine. So in the end, this is what the verdicts came to. 
and I'm going to read them off to you. So Bernadette McNeely, she was guilty of murder. She was guilty of conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm, and she pleaded guilty to false imprisonment. Jean Powell, guilty of murder, guilty of conspiracy to cause bodily harm, pleaded guilty to false imprisonment. Same for uh, Glenn Powell, same for Jeffrey, but he was acquitted of conspiracy to cause bodily harm, even though he's the one that did the teeth. Okay. So Anthony, um, Anthony, the 16-year-old, was uh, guilty of murder, guilty of conspiracy to cause bodily harm, and pleaded guilty to false imprisonment. So Clifford Pook, who we didn't really hear much of, he was there. He was the only one that was acquitted of murder. But okay. he did plead guilty to conspiracy to cause harm and guilty of uh, pleaded guilty to false imprisonment were they all tried together yes so as the sentences were announced two jurors cried out loud and there were cries and shouts of yes yes from the public which was filled with relatives of suzanne in a statement to the press after the sentencing detective peter wall said quote psychological reports say that these are absolutely sane individuals it is frightening that they are such ordinary people there was nothing special about any of them so and here six kids now don't have their mothers right. or dad in one case yeah. they didn't have their dads both so here's a update so jeffrey was released from prison in 1998 clifford pook in 2001 anthony dudson in 2013 and Bernadette McNeely in 2015. Glenn Powell and Jean Powell remain in prison today. And guess what? Bernadette McNeely, guess who she uh, shared a wing with in prison? Rosemary West. <gasps> Ew! Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So to end this episode, I will leave you with something that Suzanne's mother said. She said, quote, Suzanne was very forgiving, but she was also a girl who would try to sort out her problems on her own. That's what she did in the end. She survived her ordeal long enough to name every single one of her attackers. And that include, concludes the story of Suzanne Capper. Poor. I told you that was going to be a rough one. I didn't like that. And the fact that she still considered these people her friends, like to her family, she thought these were her best friends. That's really sad. It makes me think that, you know, I guess she probably didn't have friends outside, like in school. She might have been well, like she a, wasn't going to school anymore. But it's wild that that one guy got out second. I know when he was acquitted of um, murder, the only one, but he got uh, out after. They uh, said that Bernadette was a um, model prisoner, and she was so well behaved, so she got out. But Jean and Glenn are still in there today. They were married, right? Well, they were at one point, but then they were they were still hanging out and doing drugs and all that. But they were divorced okay yeah. yeah so both of the kid people that had kids their partners or ex-partners took part in it too yeah so as i was saying the six kids lost both their parents mm -hmm. yep horrible sad and yeah well that was rusty easy suzanne suzanne i'm sorry i messed up your name a couple times my god bye bye <laughs>